right, all right. How's everybody doing? That little intro matches kind of what's been happening in our area lately, right? Uh, last night it was thundering in my house. Um, it's been raining pretty heavily. Um, my name is Moises. Um, I'm the pastor here. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, thank you for being here. Thank you for being flexible and squeezing in. I know you're rubbing shoulders with the person next to you, and you're like, I don't know about this, but listen, um, make yourself at home. They're good people. I'm telling you, they're good people. Take my word for it. Um, but we got a big Sunday today. We're super excited about what's happening, so we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to get things started off, okay? Uh, we're going to go right into it. Um, don't fall asleep on me, all right? I'm going to try to keep you awake. I know it's, it's, it's gloomy outside, and those are the best naps, right? But um, let's just wait till we get home. <laughs> so... Um, no, but today, today we're going to continue our sermon series on God Sees You, um, and, and it's this story uh, about the life of Jonah, uh, a well-known story. Last, last week, we began the sermon series, and we started talking. It was a little different how we delivered it last week. We had Joe here sharing his powerful testimony. How many enjoy that in his personal life, right? That was good. And now I make him sit in the front row now, so no, I'm just... <laughs> Just kidding. No, Um, an amazing story about healing and purpose. And, you know, um, just if you didn't get a chance to hear it, we got our podcast and and you're more than welcome to to, to listen to that. So um, today, though, however, we're going to dive right into the story. We're going to we're going to be talking about the story of Jonah and kind of breaking that down. I know it's a very popular story, powerful story. Um, It's not only a story that's applicable to children. Amen. All right. Let's just get that out of the way. However, 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 if you want to see your kid's pastor happy, tell him that the next sermon series is on Jonah. I mean, he lights up. The ideas start flowing. It's crazy. Bass showed up at home with a whale with teeth on it and a man inside of it, and the thing was close. And Bass was like, oh, he's eating them. He's eating them. I'm like, no, that's not how it went. It did, he didn't eat them. Okay? <laughs> so, Landon, you could do without the teeth, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, they kill it back there. Our kids, I'm sure, are having an amazing time. So, but, but to give you an idea, the, the, the entire theme of the book of Jonah, it's, it's all surrounded around, around the idea of the magnitude of God's saving mercy. A concept that we could arguably say today, it's something that you and I benefit more than we think we do. There's, no, there's not one aspect of our lives that did not involve God's incredible mercy and grace. Would you agree? We are surrounded by it, constantly saved by it, incredibly protected by it. It is more there than you think it is. And you're sitting here and saying, why is this guy getting loud? And why is that how it is around here? All right. If you sleep through this, man, you know. Living outside of this simple principle can cause you to have this effect in your life where you wonder why things take the place, take the the direction that they take. Because living outside the idea that there is no mercy or no grace in action, you know, it overcomplicates our relationship with God. He is our source and everything happens through Him and by Him. If that doesn't sit well with us, then we have like a faulty sensor in our relationship with God. Even at times when God makes us responsible for things, can you believe that he's still in control? It's like I I, I used to use the the picture of a shopping cart. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, Mom, let me push the shopping cart in the store. And, you know, I've always been small, 
okay? And one day, not that I'm small now, I'm like five, seven and a half, all right? I'm getting there. Don't you hit a growth spurt at 40? No, no, that doesn't happen. No, I'm just kidding. So, no, no, no. <laughs> I heard the older you get, the more you shrink, right? So at some point, I'll be like 4'11", you know, like, anyway, so I'm, I'm ready. You know, I'm looking for this moment. I'm looking forward to this moment, like, Mom, let me push the cart. She's like, you're not ready yet. Mom, let me push the cart. You're not ready yet. And one day in the grocery store, she's like, push the cart. And I'm like, this is my time. You know, it's like I got my license, you know, I'm, I'm ready to push the cart. And I grab onto the cart, and I start pushing him, and my mom grabs the front of the cart. And it's, it's kind of, it was so frustrating. I'm like, Mom, let go. No, no, no. You, you, can, you can push, but I, I'm going to guide you a little bit. As silly as that may sound, even when God makes us responsible for something in our lives, he is still in control. Your life, he's holding on to your cart. I know you want to push it, but he's still grabbing onto it. He's helping you direct that cart somewhat in one way or another, okay? You know, as a father, as men, and I'll use this example, we are the source of our household. The, our household lives on the fruits of what we give and what we do as, as men, okay? And you may say, Moises, that's a lot of responsibility, but God isn't asking this responsibility from us as men just by ourselves. No, he gives us our own source too. He gives us the tools that we need as men to be part of that. When I lead my son down a, uh, to cross the road somewhere, or down a crowded area, I use this example in Father's Day. I tell him, hold on to my hand and follow me, okay? My five-year-old holds on to my hand and he follows me. Rosie and I were talking the other day how used to he's getting to that. As soon as a place gets crowded, the first thing he does is he goes like this. He looks around, you know? I don't say to my son, memorize the map, figure out a way to get there, find a way to get back home. No, because the good father gets the child one responsibility, and that's to hold on to me. All right? John chapter 15, found more than eight times in that one chapter, abide in me, hold on to me. All right? We, as people of God, are given one responsibility. Remain in me. Even through our responsibilities, even through all the things that we feel like we're carrying by ourselves, God just wants us to hold on to him. He's not asking you to be the source by yourself. He's saying, in fact, I'll be your source. Just remain in me. Following me? Sorry, I just went on the soapbox, right? Like, you know, and, and so, so even if our, our job may feel overwhelming and, and, you know, God is not asking us to do this. He's asking us to remain in him. Yep. While we think about our relationship with God and we may assume that it's full of complications in life, if we look close enough to it, it is much, much more simpler than that, especially when it comes to our involvement and what we're responsible to carry. Many, many times, God is just simply trying to accomplish something amazing through us. But we conclude with the idea that it all depends on us. It's all riding on us. Sometimes we put pressure on ourselves. Trust me, as a pastor, I do it all the time. I really think sometimes 
Think how silly this sounds. I really think that it rides on me sometimes when it doesn't. It's my own faulty ways of thinking that God has just kind of kicked me out there and like, have fun, sink or swim, buddy. But it doesn't work that way. I understand the magnitude. Understanding the magnitude of God's grace and mercy allows for less worry, less obstacles, less fear. We would all sign up for that. If I say walk through this door to experience less obstacles, less fear, less depression, less worry, we all like sign me up, line up, we all go in. Well, that, that's what God is offering when he says, rely on me, abide in me, follow me. And we'll see a guy like Jonah, a prophet of God, who didn't understand this, missing it in one moment. I'm not saying that Jonah's entire life, he, of course, he was already a prophet. I'm sure he did more things for God and he obeyed. Sadly, the story that makes it to the scripture is the one where he went off and ran away from God. Who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And the book takes off right away with God directing him to just go. We don't really know how he received this call. And I mentioned this last week a little bit, whether it was a verbal call, a vision, writing on the wall, whether it was through another prophet. All we know is that God looked at Jonah and said, go. And you're like, man, this reminds me of Sunday school here. Like, oh, whoa, you know, but here we go. Let's read Jonah chapter one. If you got your Bibles, open up Jonah chapter one. We're going to be all over chapter one today. We're going to read verse one to three now. I have it on the screen as well. So you could read and follow with me. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Once my judgment against it once my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Jonah agreed with that statement. But Jonah got up and went in an opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving to Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Huh? Yep. That usually fixes everything. You do realize that sometimes the easiest thing to do is to quit. When things get difficult, the easiest thing to do is to leave. That's the easiest choice. You say, no, Moises, that's the hardest. No, at the time of the conflict or whatever you may be set facing, the easiest thing is just to leave. Nineveh was known as a traditional great city. Because it, it, the size of it and the reputation, it was the capital of Assyria, a very wicked, brutal, and moral nation. This thing was about 500 miles from where Jonah was. Think of us being called to Orlando. Not that Orlando, Florida is Nineveh, okay? I'm just, <laughs> just... Just think of the mileage, okay? It's not... If you're from Orlando, I don't mean to offend, you know, I'm not... It's just a geographical point. And, and, and Nineveh being this far away from him probably made Jonah very happy. Especially since God's people hated the Assyrians and he saw them as a great threat to the people of Israel. 
But God gives Jonah specific instructions to go and warn the people of Nineveh about this coming judgment upon them because of their wickedness. And Jonah responds to God's mission by running away. That's why I, I think this, this, if I had to title this message, it would be titled Underrun. Because you ever been in a position where you've been on the run from God? How did it go? Are you currently on the run from God today? Is that a place in life that you may find yourself this morning? You know, Tarshish was about 2,500 miles from Israel. That's from here to California. It gets worse. No, I'm just <laughs> I got some California people here. I love you. I love you. No, no, no. California is great. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> oh, man, that's bad. So he, he practically goes as far as you could go to get away from what God is calling him to do. And, and I just want to tell you, not, not that you know this, but nothing good happens when we go on the run from God. Have you ever seen someone on the run from God? Let's think of the law. When somebody's on the run from the law, where do they usually find them? Yeah, hiding somewhere. And the place is not nice. They're usually not hiding in a nice mansion somewhere, a beautiful place. No, I used to watch that episode, uh, that, that, that show called Cops. I, I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but, you know, I would watch that thing and they would go and there would be this scene on Cops where the, the criminals would just disappear. And you got the cops with the flashlights, they get the dogs out, terrified moment. I'm telling you, if I was a guy and you told me there were dogs chasing me, I would be like, I'm here! Tie him back up. I've never been to jail, so don't, you know, don't go there with me. But usually, but usually these people are found behind a bush somewhere, in a trash can, in some desert place in the woods somewhere. Okay? They're just not in a good place. And most of the time, I'm going to say all of the time, when you and I decide to go on the run from God, we're going to be found in a place where it's not going to be very pleasant. Things won't get better, friends. It's not going to get nicer. It's not going to be beneficial. You may think that the easiest thing to do is to quit. But the depression isn't going to get better. The workload won't get any better. You won't feel at more peace. Blindly accepting your assignment from God may be the beginning of the most amazing thing that has ever happened to your life. I know that that is a statement of faith, but it's one I believe in wholeheartedly. Doubt is going to come into your life practically in every decision you make. So I'm not telling you to never doubt. It is practically impossible. In order to decide, your, to, to decide to let yourself trust, you have to let yourself doubt. You think, you think of, of a person like, like, like Thomas. 
He became trusting Thomas, and it changed the rest of his history, of his story. His life teaches us that doubt is not the end of faith, but what? The beginning of it. If we're going to doubt something, doubt your doubt, not your faith. You know what the, the, the biggest expression of your free will is? We think that the biggest of expression of our free will as, 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 as servants of God and God-fearing people, we think that is the actions that we take. And in fact, when in fact, the biggest expression of our free will today is our faith. Is how well we trust God. Not necessarily tied to an action. You want to impress the all-knowing God, all-powerful God? Trust Him. You're like, that's too simple. Then what's the problem? I know. <laughs> I'm writing it and I'm like, really? I sound like Dr. Phil up here. We must consider as individuals and believers of God to blindly accept the assignment that God has given to us. We don't need a reason. Jonah didn't need a reason. The Bible says, it's he who saved us and he who shows us for his holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. You have to trust that. We, we must believe in that. We weren't saved by service. We were saved for service. If you need a reason, it cost Jesus his own life to purchase our salvation. The Bible says God paid a great price for you. So use your body to honor God. We don't serve God out of guilt or fear or duty. But instead, we serve him out of joy and great gratitude because of what he has done for you and I. There's no such thing in this life as what's in it for me. If God chose us for this path, we owe him our lives. Through salvation, our past has been forgiven. Our present is meaningful and our future is secure. This is, this is what Paul, Paul says. Is because of God's great mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Dedicate it to his service. We hear all this. We agree to it. We're like, duh. But then you sound like my five-year-old. You know, Sebastian does this thing, and he does it more and more now, okay? He's five, all right? He calls me papa, right? He calls me papa. And he's like, but why, Papa? And I'm like, I'm like, let's, let's just say it's windy outside. I'm like, buddy, we have to close the umbrellas. Why, Papa? Because it's windy outside. Okay. But why, Papa? Well, because it's going to get windy and the wind, you know, if the umbrellas are open, it might take them away. But why, Papa? And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to break something. But why, Papa? And he won't stop. It's not annoying at all, I'm telling you. It's, it's perfect. I love that little guy. <laughs> Especially in the middle of a storm. Come on, man, stop! Like, you know. 
We do the same thing to God. But why? But why, Father? Like, but why? But why? And I'm telling you, not that God would act like me. Of course not. Thank you for your patience. Because I sometimes look at Bash and I say, because I said so. <laughs> you know what he follows it with? Why, Papa? <laughs> Just missed it completely. And sometimes we need our father to do the same thing with us. Just trust me. I'm just, uh, stop asking me why and when and how. Just because I said so, trust me. Have I not done enough? Ooh, am I not good for it? Mm. You know, have you ever wondered why God doesn't just immediately take us up to heaven the moment we accept grace? Why, 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 does, he not, why does he leave us in this falling world here? Because we're meant to fulfill a purpose. God intends to use you for his gold. God is a ministry. God has a ministry for you in the church and a mission for you in the world. You know the only person that stands in the way of that? Your unbelief. We will never find a life of, of significance and value when we refuse to accept the ministry and the mission that God has deposited in our lives. Being called by God is not just for missionaries, pastors, nuns, full-time employees at the church. We are all called to be Christians in a service to God. Salvation comes with that caveat. Regardless of your, oh, I work all, regardless of your job and career. Because we're all called to be full-time Christians. You follow me? I get it. It's busy. I get it. It's, it's, work is hard. But we're all still called to full-time Christians, to be full-time Christians. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction, friends. In some churches in China, they welcome believers by saying, Jesus has a new pair of eyes to see with, new ears to hear with, a new mouth to speak with, new hands to touch with, a new heart to feel with. That is what we join at salvation. That is what we have in this relationship. Jonah was a prophet of God, and when God asked him, he ran away. And you're sitting here today thinking, Moises, you're going a little too hard on us today. Listen, you're here. There's hope. It's not too late. Pinch yourself. I'm still here. All right? I praise God because waiting seasons are not wasted seasons in God. In other words, God is always on the move in our lives, even when we're on the run. You cannot outrun God. I don't care how fast you are. Let's look at Jonah. Man, I'm, I got it. Jonah 1, 4, 6. I hope that you don't feel 
like my, my hope is not you, that, that you feel attacked, but that you would feel encouraged with the message that's being spoken. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, it says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing the, their lives, they des the desperate sailors shouted to, the, to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard, enlightened the ship. But all the time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Poor guy. So the captain went down after him. How can you be asleep or how can, how can you sleep at, this time, at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. We see here a great storm in the Mediterranean Sea that God generates in order to create or catch Jonah's attention. This thing takes off and, and Jonah's sound asleep. <clears throat> Not only was he in danger in the life of himself, he was in danger in the life of other people around him. A great principle that we can learn from today. That your actions have consequences that affect more than just yourself. It's one thing for you to hurt yourself, which is wrong already. But it's another thing for you not to account for the people around you that are being hurt by it. You want to give me conviction? Put my wife and my son in front of me and tell me you're hurting them. I'll lose it because none of us want to do that. But it's the reality of our decision making in our lives. We affect more than just our lives. We affect others around us. It's a great lesson to learn that what you decide to do and what you show, choose to do with your life could have an effect that may affect the people that you love the most. If we aren't fully committed to God and his purpose for our lives, our family as well as others may experience some suffering too. So if you don't do it for yourself, do it for the people around you that you care for a lot. You need an incentive? Look around you. Maybe the mirror is not enough, but I pray and hope that the people involved in your life the most, when you look at them, it causes you to move and say, I can't keep doing this. God, reel me back, please. Hmm. But instead, we have fallen asleep. We got the great prophet of God asleep in the middle of the storm. And we, we, we have churches filled with spiritual dead people, to totally, totally unconcerned. Though people around them are facing storms and dying and, and living difficult lives, they still find a way to just peace all the way through it. I'm a very, I'm a very light sleeper. I get up, any little sound, anyone moves, I wake up, Okay. I could fall back to sleep, but I'm just a light sleeper. Have you ever met those people that just sleep through anything? Look, there's people looking at each other. Listen, I, I wasn't going there, okay? Easy here. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a sin, okay? So just hold off here. <laughs> it's just a comparison, okay? You know, we, we have levels of Christians who are so complacent nowadays, selfish about their salvation. Not my problem. You know, I, 
I'll share with you one of the most frustrating aspects of coming to this area was talking to other pastors in the area. You know, because I felt like there was some kind of complacency. You know, like, hey, you, you what? 50 people, 60, man, it's crazy. We're good here. We're, we're good with our group. We don't, yeah, I know the town is growing. It's okay. Just one call after the next, just pastor after pastor, just completely indifferent about the fact that 90% of the people that live in this community travel here and moved here, weren't born here, that this community is growing 10% a year. New people constantly moving into this area. And I'm talking to pastors and they're indifferent. Like I got my people. I'm not taking a shot. I'm just, it's the level of complacency that we fall into by saying that is not my problem. We must be very careful that we don't get dull in the process. There's an epidemic in our Christian circles that represents this indifference that undervalues the potential of the hope and light we carry. I told the, the, the team this morning, I said, there is no darkness in this world that could put away the light that you and I carry inside of us. No, I don't care how bad it is, man. The light that you have is, is powerful. There is no darkness in this world that could contain that. You could tell me the most horrifying story that you've ever heard, and the light of my Savior is so much more powerful than it. That's what I believe. Acts chapter 28, verse 27 says, For this people's hearts have become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Think about that. We could get to a point where our lives become so dull because of the things that we face and the evil that we've been exposed to. Our exposure to evil tends to have this idea that it damaged our souls. It's tough, guys. As a, every seasoned Christian I meet today, and I, when I introduce myself as a pastor, they all act doubtful. I say, hey, my name is Moises. What do you do? I'm a pastor. They're like, ooh. It's like a bad reputation concept. You know what I do? I don't let that discourage me. I find it for an opportunity to say, I'm the guy for the job. <laughs> wow, it's my turn to prove something different here. I'm going to change your perspective. God called me to that. I think I could do it. You know? Because, guys, sometimes you are the solution. Most of the time, you are the solution. When you're facing a problem, you're facing it for a reason. And if you have faith and light within you, you are the solution. If your solutions require action from someone else, you don't have a solution, you have a complaint. And the complaint department is that way. Not that way, but you know what I mean, somewhere else. 
The, the coach of the Oklahoma football team said football is about 22 players on the field that need rest. While 50,000 other people watch them that need exercise. Take that on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> First day of football, baby. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not Super Bowl Sunday. It's the first day of football. But you knew what I meant. It's similar to our mission, isn't it? A small amount of people doing the work while the other ones are just watching and much need to do the work. Jonah, let's keep, let's keep reading. 1, 7 to 13. Jonah, 1, 7 to 13. We're going to read the whole thing here. Then the sailors said to each other, Come and let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for the calamity. They cast lots and the, the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Guys, I don't want you to miss this here. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. And I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Listen to this. Instead, the men did their best to row back the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. It's, it's amazing for me to read this because you remember how I told you sometimes you are the solution to the problem? This is the moment where Jonah realizes that. And he says, throw me in. I'm the solution. Throw me in. I'm ready to go. It's that moment where it clicked for him. It was so impressive, the act that he was taking by making this statement that the sailors found a new level of respect in him. See, the following verse after Jonah says, throw me in, the sailors said, no, let's try a little harder to save you, man. You got a good heart. You're thinking right. You're willing to sacrifice yourself for us. Even though he had disobeyed God, even though they were in the position they were because of him, Jonah realizes, I'm the solution to this problem. Throw me in. The sailor said, no way. We're going to swim harder. We're going to go harder. We're going to row harder to get you across. It was with no effect, right? But sometimes us jumping in and saying, we are the solution. Friends, the church is the solution for the problems the world is facing. You are. You are the solution. You're like, no, not the one thing that I can think of. No, you are the solution. You're in front of a problem and you have light within you. There's no level of darkness that can match that. You just have to jump in. You have to say, throw me in. I'm the guy. Throw me in. You've called me. I'm ready to do it. Styles, you're going on a cruise. I don't want you to think, you know, I don't... <laughs> 
This has not, I don't want you jumping and doing anything crazy. We need you back. We need, <laughs> need you <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he hates me, right? I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> now, you see this compassion from Jonah and, and a character that admitted that he was the one rebelling against God. You know, one thing we know is that Jonah didn't like what God had asked him to do. And in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to dive into what, what happened there. and why, why was Jonah feeling this way? And, and it's a whole nother mess, okay? But, but one, it caused him to have this effect that he went in the opposite direction of God. And, and, and even though he disagreed and was, and was upset, he got to the point where he realized that he was still wrong. It didn't take long for Jonah to say, it's me. God is right, I'm wrong, you know? And I'm just going to make the, the cliche statement, God is always right, right, in case anybody needed to know that. God is always right. You know, God is not worried about proving you right or wrong because ultimately proving someone wrong has never changed how they feel. Try it with your wife. It doesn't work. I know that's right. <laughs> uh, the, the board makes fun of me because I have these dot, dot, dots after these statements, and I don't really know where they're going to go, so they don't know where it's going to go either. You know, Jesus wasn't worried so much about proving us right or wrong. He's always been more concerned about our pride and our humility. Jonah felt extremely guilty for disobeying God, and we're wrapping this thing up for putting others' lives at danger. This shows us a sign of humility in the part of Jonah. Not only that, but he realized that he has the solution for the problem. Enough looking around. It was him. Don't pray anymore to the gods. Don't worry. Don't throw things overboard. It's me. It's not you, it's me. There has got to be a point in our lives where we admit wrong and in faith walk into whatever purpose God has in store for us. Do you believe that your life has been arranged for greatness in God? See, some of us don't even know how to cope with that. We're like, am I saying the right thing by saying yes? Does God have a, does God have a great future in store for you? I do. I believe he does. With all the complications that I may face, I still believe that I have been destined for greatness in God's plan. I'm not trying to hype you up. We have a kingdom-driven purpose and destiny when we look at Christ. We will then become more than what the world sees in us. But this understanding of ourselves will cause us to make decisions in faith. Delay is not denial, my friends. Just like a child needs to understand that no is not the same thing as not yet. We have to understand that too. Just because God is saying not yet doesn't mean he's saying no. Be a little bit more patient. When God says, no, not this way, go this way. Guys, dreams will require a decision of faith in our lives. And God will stretch you 
to accomplish those things by, by, by facing, you'll be facing difficult dead ends at times, difficulties, decisions, and then God comes and delivers like never before. God does a miracle and God provides a solution. I mean, you see it in Moses and, and it parts the Red Sea. Abraham, he was old. They are, they're able to conceive a child. Joseph, the dream becomes a reality. and He's able to interpret that and he becomes the second in command in Egypt. Jesus was resurrected. Even death, even a crucifixion could be turned into a resurrection in God. He has the power to transform our dead ends into deliverance. Into a place of hope and light where we can live. There's been an arrangement for greatness. Real quickly, 14 to 17. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then look then they looked at Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging seas grew calm. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vow to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. <laughs> Listen, God is going to get your attention one way or the other. There's an arrangement for greatness being put in place for your life. You're like, I don't believe that. That's problem number one. It is that personal. There is an arrangement for greatness being purposely put in place for your life. I, I soundly believe that for every single individual in the room. I firmly believe that in faith. You know, this is what deliverance looks like to the point where Jesus puts this level of experience that Jonah faced in the same category, comparing it to his death and resurrection on the cross with the three days. God used to bring a message of hope and life through this event that took place. So as we prepare to pray today, I have three questions for you that I want you to consider. Are you currently asleep? Not like falling asleep. Most of you probably woke up when I said that, if you were. <laughs> Are you currently asleep? Are you the solution to the problem? We know there's problems. Are you the solution to it? And do you believe that there is an arrangement for greatness for your life in God? Are you asleep? Are you the solution to your problem? And has there been an arrangement for greatness for your life put together in God's light? You know, R.C. Sproul said this, nothing is more comforting than God's sovereignty over our suffering. What, what God does in your life will become the foundation of what he will do through your life. All right? God is inviting us to use the most painful places for something better. Sometimes the best part of the healing process and the healing wounds is the fact that we know that it's not being wasted. Yeah. 
that is being used for something, that you're going through a difficult season because it's not being wasted. You're developing into something that God has in store that you can't see yet. Don't sleep on this. You are the solution. I believe there's an arrangement for greatness put together in your life. Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, help us. Allow us this morning to wake up. Jesus, we, we see a prophet in this story, one of your very own, asleep during a moment where he was needed most, putting others at danger, God. God, uh, not realizing that he was the solution, or actually maybe knowing that he was the solution, not stepping forth and putting things at risk. Lord, we pray that today, this morning, you would open our eyes to see that whatever it is that you're calling us to do, whatever it is that you're moving us into, God, help us to wake up and know that the need is in front of us because we are the solution, God. In faith, we declare this morning, God, that we have been made, arranged, for your greatness and what you're capable of doing through us. It doesn't matter what it looks like. There's enough light. Doesn't matter how hard it gets, how dark it gets. God, there's enough light. Jesus, and we declare that, proclaim that, receive that, and believe that what you have in store for us is purposeful, is great, and we're going to give you all the glory for it. Jesus, help us to be faithful to you in everything so that we may not discourage away into areas of our lives that we never, you never intended us for us to be in the first place. So forgive us, God. Help us to be better tomorrow than we were today. But most of all, allow us to acknowledge you and your plans in our lives so that we would comply and advance your kingdom forward. We love you, God, and we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.